Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. He said, you know, basically, who are we? What is our true history? Who are we really as a people, both good and bad? And I think Thompson helps this his report, helps paint part of that picture. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor James Smith discussing Charles Thompson, a diplomat amongst the Delaware. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode of Dispatches is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publisher of Liberty is Sweet, The Hidden History of the American Revolution by Woody Holton, available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor James Smith, and he'll be discussing the life of Charles Thompson, a diplomat amongst the Delaware people. I don't mean to put on my lecture hat here, but I will. James Smith has written an article for us this week dealing with a man named Charles Thompson, and I think more importantly, his life and times amongst the Delaware people. Now, the Delaware are a unique native group in the history of North America because of the way they are politically organized. This is right in my wheelhouse, and I'm happy to share it with you. When we think of native tribes, I think we often think of groups like the Iroquois, the Haudenosaunee, highly organized politically with a central locus of power in upstate New York. But the Delaware were very different, and understanding how they were different is really critical to seeing why what Charles Thompson did was so important. The Delaware called themselves the Leni Lenape, the original people. Uh, And they were not, uh, I guess we could say, organized at a national level. They were made up of clans, but more importantly, local villages. And every village, in a way, was its own sovereign unit. Yes, they spoke the same language. Yes, they had a shared culture. But there was no real, genuinely leader I guess we could say, uh, to be found amongst the Lenape. There were several leaders. um, And in that way, dealing with them in terms of diplomacy and and military uh, uh, matters was really difficult for a lot of early Americans because you couldn't make one big treaty, but you had to make several small treaties traveling from village to village uh, in a localized scene. Charles Thompson knew how to navigate that. And it's what made his service to the American Revolution so valuable. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with James Smith. James Smith, welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. Tell us about your background. Basically, I have a bachelor's degree, a science degree from Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, I went to school on the GI Bill after having been in the Army for a while. And then after graduation, I spent my career as an insurance adjuster. 
after I retired, I became interested in political history of the Continental Congress uh, through uh, a book I actually, well, not actually, but a book I sort of was thumbing through and saw something that piqued my interest. What first drew your interest into this topic? What got me started in, in, in the Continental Congress was volume 23 of the uh, col- collection of the letters from the delegates to Congress that the Library of Congress authorized back during the bicentennial. And in that letter were a number of uh, book was a number of letters from a man named Charles Thompson. And I had no idea who he was. And in looking at all the lists of the various delegates, he was not one of them. So finally, I, you know, I found out that he was the secretary to the Congress. And in the, in the volume 23, it's, it takes place uh, right after the, peace treaty had been signed and approved by the Congress. And what happened was after the peace treaty was signed, everybody went home. I mean, the Congress just sort of emptied. And here was Charles Thompson, the secretary of the Congress, the sole, he was one man government. Uh, And in the book are letters after letters that he's writing to various congressmen, you know, come back. We still have work to do. You know, please come back. Hey, I'm here all by myself. Uh, and his letters were rather poignant, and I just sort of became interested in, in, the, in the character of uh, Charles Thompson, which led me to then becoming interested in the, the political history of the Congress itself. Talk about Thompson's early life. Well, he was um, came to America as a small boy. Uh, his mother had died, so his father who they lived in Ireland, I think Northern Ireland, I think they were Protestant Northern Ireland, uh, decided to emigrate to America. So he took his three sons, uh, the two older sons, Thomas's older sons, uh, Charles' older sons, were, you know, older, and Charles was the youngest. Uh, on the way to America, his father died. The ship landed in Delaware, and the two older boys were able to get jobs and support themselves. Charles was put in the care of a, of a blacksmith and he thought, well, I'll teach him the blacksmith trade because I have no children and it doesn't look like I'm going to have any. And he and his wife were thrilled to have Charles and come on board and they were going to teach him the trade. And of course he would take over the blacksmith business and support them. It seems nobody asked Charles what he thought of this. So during the night he packed up and went out the window and took off, uh, was headed toward Philadelphia, and then in the biographies, there's three biographies I read of him. All of them refer to a woman who saw him walking on the road toward Philadelphia. She was in a coat and she picked him up. None of the sources cite this, you know, this information. It's sort of like just there and it's put in the book. So I don't know how much of it's legend or how much of it's true, but he wound up in Philadelphia. The woman did get him involved into a or enrolled in a school run by a Presbyterian minister, and it wasn't just an ordinary, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. It was those plus mathem, you know, mathem, higher mathematics, languages, and including Latin and Greek. So he got an excellent education uh, when he graduated. He started teaching himself, but he said, "I didn't really like that that much." Moved to Philadelphia and became friends with Benjamin Franklin and some other people and was originally hired as a Latin teacher uh, at the school that was set up by Benjamin Franklin. Later, he was hired uh, by a group of Quakers 
who was founding a Quaker school, and they asked him to be the head of the Latin department. Um, and that's uh, where he was uh, working for a number of years. And then when the French and Indian War broke out and the Delaware sided with uh, the French, uh, but they had traditionally been friends with the English, but they finally just kept getting pushed further and further and further back away from their homelands that they were pushed really into the uh, Ohio Valley and they linked up with the French and then you know became allied with the French. The Quakers thought that if we could make some kind of peace uh, with the Delaware, we used to be friends with them, that this would sort of reduce the pressure of, you know, the war in Pennsylvania. So they hired, and the Delaware had always been sort of complaining of the treatment they were getting from the, uh, from the, uh, officials in Pennsylvania. They hired Thompson to research the history of the various treaty negotiations. And there were a slew of them. And Thompson, you know, did, did, did investigate them. He didn't get a whole lot of help from government officials. So he had to do it the hard way, poking and searching and interviewing people. And basically came to the conclusion, yeah, the Delaware had been mistreated. And, you know, said so in his report. So that's kind of where it went. Uh, and, and that's what this report that he wrote is what my article is about. How did Thompson first become involved in Indian treaties? Well, like I said, he was approached by the Quakers, uh, a group of Quakers, and he couldn't get to certain uh, 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 documents they would, that were kept by the legislature, uh, which basically were the official the goats. So he had to sort of search side documents uh, in various courts, interviewed a lot of people, both uh, English and uh, Delaware, um, and it was just... It was, uh, fairly painting in the book, he goes into a lot of detail, which I didn't try to go into in, in my article of just how he went. And, and one of the things that struck me was there were negotiation treaties almost every second or third year. I mean, there was a slew of treaties between the 1680s and the French and Indian War. And each one of them would push the Delaware further and further and further back away from their homelands. And, you know, they just kept getting increasingly frustrated about it. And, but yeah, he, it was basically painstaking research because it's with the, the officials in the government wouldn't really get him access to the official papers. What did Thompson find during his investigation? Basically what would happen is the, in Pennsylvania, it, it's a, it was a proprietary colony. It was owned by the Penn family. The British King did not appoint any governor. It was not part of the British government. It was privately owned by uh, William Penn's family that's lived in Britain. And basically, they made their money. Uh, they had a rule that they appointed the governors. Only the governor could negotiate the land trees. They would buy land from the Native Americans and then divide it up into plots and sell it to settlers. Uh, that's how they made their money, and it was rather lucrative for them. Um, what had happened was that Every time they would make a treaty and to come up with a, a, a dividing line, be it a river or a mountain range, they would say, all right, this side is for the English, this side is for the Delaware. But immediately after the treaty, whites would start settling on the other side, the Delaware side, more and more and more of them. And they would keep pushing the, you know, the, the governors to say, do something about this. 
And basically, as Charles Thompson said in his report, they got a lot of lip service and no real action. So that eventually there were so many settlers that the, the, the governor would say, well, look, there's too many. We can't move off. Let's renegotiate a treaty and I'll give you a new piece, a new border. And so they were constantly renegotiating borders as the whites were further and further encroaching the land, constantly trying to, you know, come up with a place where this is the final, the final. And finally, it got to the point where the Appalachian Mountains, which is sort of was, the, was for as far as the Delaware were concerned, was the, was the last draw. No, no further. We're not going to go any further. This is it. If this don't work, then we're, we're done and, you know, we'll side with the French. Basically, they were almost pushed up against to, to the French because they were, of course, building forts further and further into uh, the Pennsylvania and New York area. Uh, but uh, it was just, a, you know, a series of just spreading, spreading settlements and ignoring, ignoring boundaries. What did Thompson find during his investigation? Thompson in this report doesn't really mention a lot of that, other, but, but other than the fact that he was appointed by the chief of the Delaware and the group that was doing the, the final negotiations uh, to be their, their sort of secretary and scribe. But the, in, the, in the biographies of him, just goes a little bit more into it. This, this, this period of time was not just a matter of a few days. Apparently, it was an extended uh, relationship over several months. Uh, maybe even into a year or two in which he spent time with the Delaware, you know, learning about them, going over the histories of with them, uh, getting their take on the various negotiations that had taken place. And then when he became the, the official scribe uh, in the, in the sort of the last treaty in 1757, um, he became sort of their official, what you might call it advisor and, and record keeper. And the Delaware respected him. Apparently he respected them and they respected him. And he was adopted into the tribe, given a name that supposedly translates into truth teller. And that, that reputation uh, stuck with Charles Thompson. He was, he was basically known as the straight arrow. Um, and, and he, uh, he, he took pride in that. And so basically, for, and the other thing is, if you've ever read Thomas Jefferson's notes on Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, when he was discussing the Native Americans of, of, the, of the American colonies, dependent on this French philosopher, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, who wrote a lot about the Native Americans, who had never been to America. He wrote about it from what he read from other people. And when he finished his, his, his book, he sent a copy to Charles Thompson and said, tell me what you think. Charles Thompson wrote back to Jefferson and said, well, this section on, on the Native Americans is so much junk. Uh, his bunk. And he went on in a rather lengthy letter to explain what the real culture of the Native Americans was, uh, describing that their behavior and their attitudes and their culture and their settlements and how they treat each other at some de- some in some depth. And Thomas Jefferson, to his credit, attached that report as an ad- appendix to his book. So if you read his book, you'll see at the end of it, the, the appendix written by Charles Thompson correcting all of the misinformation about Native Americans that Thompson had originally included. Talk about Thompson's life amongst the Delaware. Well, what happened was in the Treaty of Eastwood, I think it was, the last treaty in 1757, the English were trying to get the Delaware to either switch sides or at least become neutral. Uh, They were sort of blocking the way 
to get to the French. And they had a series of meetings. And basically what it came down to, at first the, the governor did not want to allow Thompson to be the secretary for the Native American. They said, you've always had us do the record keeping and we would give you a copy. Of course, half the time the copy was either incomplete or totally erroneous. Uh, but it took four days for the uh, governor to finally realize, okay, we, this is not going to happen unless we allow Thompson to represent the Indians. Um, but it, it was sort of interesting what they also about this time, I think because of the war, the British government was beginning to start take notice of native American relations. They were sort of saying, you know, they were up to that point, leaving it to the local, you know, governments in, in the colonies to handle, but that it was constantly, you know, constantly having Indian warfare. And now it was with most of the Indians siding with the French, it was a real serious issue. So they stepped, they decided they were going to take a hand in controlling Native American relationships about the same time all this was going on. So at the meeting, what they finally wound up deciding to do was the Delaware would would send a report to the King of England outlining their complaints and how they felt they'd been unjustly treated. The colonial government would send their reply to the king, and it was both sides agreed we will let the king decide what to do. We'll leave it up to the king. We'll trust him to give us a fair decision. And of course, as I say in my report, Charles Thompson's report was sent to England. Benjamin Franklin read it and made sure that copies got to various government officials within the government of Britain. So uh, they were aware of his report at the same time they were given this task of deciding just what would be, you know, the final uh, decision with regarding to Native American uh, relations. And as I put in the last of the, toward the end of my book, that, or in my article, that there's no real reply where they, you see where they replied to this uh, Thompson report. But if you read the proclamation of 1763, in which the British declare that everything west of the Appalachians is Native American land, that there shall be no white settlements beyond that point and that they were going to enforce that law. It, it really, if you read the whole, the whole proclamation, they address a lot of the, the uh, suggestions and points that Thompson makes in his report. So I think his, his report had a direct influence on that proclamation of 1763. How did Thompson's work affect the outcome of Anglo-Indian affairs? I would say it was important in its potentiality. As a result of the American Revolution, British, you know, what what was going to be what the British had decided became moot and irrelevant. Um, and unfortunately, in my opinion, as a result of of Anglo-American attitude toward Native Americans, we wound up instead of trying to find a really just peace in a way of just uh, relations so that we, as, as we expand to westward, we wound up going for a period of about 100, 120 years of constant warfare with one Native American group after the other as we spread further and further and further west to the point that, you know, basically we just militarily subdued them all. Uh, whereas Thompson was trying to find a way 
And as he put in his report, there was a way he felt that if we would follow this recommendation, we could avoid them. And unfortunately, that did not happen. So his influence had more potential than actual fact because the revolution basically nullified what what he was trying to do. What happened to Thompson later in life? Okay, well, after after this event, he decided he didn't want to teach anymore. He became a merchant. Outside, he build a, you know buy a, a merchant store and set up and become a merchant. Uh, in so doing, he, I guess, he became moderately wealthy. But he, uh, but he became friends with uh, John Dickinson. Uh, they became very close friends with him. And as the resistance to the British taxation policies grew, he was one of the more radical leaders in Pennsylvania. Uh, he became known as the Sam, uh, uh, Sam Adams of Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, uh, radical enough that when they, Pennsylvania was going to send delegates to the Continental Congress, he was deliberately left off the list. Uh, what happened was, though, that as the, the very first Congress met, uh, the radicals managed to gather enough support that they got him elected secretary of the Congress. Uh, and as secretary, he stayed for the entire full 15 years of the history of the Continental Congress. He was, you know, the, the backbone that kept the whole thing going. Uh, no document was official unless it had his signature as well as whoever the president of the Congress was at the time. So uh, he was basically... And then, and John Jay wanted him to write a history of the of the revolution. He wanted him to write. He said, "You're a truth teller. Only you can write the true history of the American Revolution." Thompson thought about it, and after several years, he declined. And he felt that there had already been been a number of histories written. They were kind of full of faction and fiction, and Americans had somewhat deceived themselves as to who they were and what the, who, the, who their important people were. And, what had happened, and he just, as he wrote back to John Jay, he says, I cannot bring myself to undeceive America. So uh, he, he, led a, he led a good life. After, the, after he ceased becoming uh, Secretary of the Continental Congress, and he did not take place in the new, con- new government under the new Constitution, he wrote the very first translation of the Christian Bible in which he translated the Bible, both the Old Testament and the uh, New Testament, from the Latin and the Greek. He found a copy of the original uh, transcripts in Latin and Greek, and he translated it and published the very first American translation of the Bible. And scholars have pretty much recommended that it's uh, fairly accurate. It's a pretty good one. How does this article help us understand the Revolutionary Era better? That's the question that Unfortunately, I think depends on your point of view. Um, one of the things that worries me personally is the tribalization of our country. Um, and one of the debates right now is what is American history? Uh, with all the book burning and, you know, cross claims of culture, you know, uh, cancellation, all this sort of stuff. I think you've got, you can look at this, his report in one of two ways, as basically irrelevant 
because it really stands in the way of American manifest destiny and progress. Uh, that's exactly the way Andrew, Andrew Johnson would look at it. Andrew Jackson, I'm sorry, Andrew Jackson would look at it. You know, we have to make way for American progress. We're the civilized nation. We build factories. We build farms. We build communities. The Indians have to make way for us. Uh, and therefore, that the what happened to Delaware was just inevitable and a sign of progress. The other part of history is that, you know, he said, you know, basically, who are we? Are, what is our true history? Who are we really as a people, both good and bad? And I think Thompson helps this his report, helps paint part of that picture. So I think it's how you take a look at it and how you want to approach it and how people, I think different people are going to read my article and come to some different conclusions. Uh, and I'm fortunate due to, I think, our growing tribalization. James Smith. Thanks again. Thank you. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.